is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For this episode, I chat with Rick Ellis, the writer of Jersey Boys, The Addams Family, The Share Show, Peter and the Star Catcher, and former creative director at Sereno Coin. We cover a lot. He is incredibly gracious in sharing tidbits of his life and standout moments that led him down his career path and to his ultimate goals. So I hope you enjoy part one with Rick Ellis. We're back. I'm Clayton Howe, and today with me on Zoom is Rick Ellis. Rick, thank you for joining me today. Well, hi, Clayton. How's it going down in Hell's Kitchen? Fantastic. You know, a beautiful sunny day after that massive snowstorm <laughs> yesterday. And listen, you know, listen, we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. I you know it was a little bit of white uh, and uh, and and I'm just going to coast on that until I guess tomorrow when it's 60 degrees again. Right. Exactly. Rick, I, I wish we had all the time in the world to talk about your entire resume. So I promise I won't make you recount the whole thing. <laughs> Before we get to those, I'm the Benjamin Franklin of show business. I've never really been able to hold a job, so I've just had lots of them, you know. <laughs> and your face is on currency. No, <laughs> I. <laughs> and I'm as old as Benjamin Franklin too. Yeah, no. Before we get to any of those, any of the resume stuff, I'm curious. What were your entertainment dreams growing up? Oh well, um, that's easy. I I always wanted to be. Uh, I always wanted to be in the theater, always, from the time I was born here. By here, I mean, um, I'm a born, born and bred New Yorker, uh, and uh, I was born in Manhattan, <clears throat> and uh, I grew up in the, on, the, uh, on the Upper West Side, and uh, we were, you know, sort of a lower middle class family, but in those days, uh, uh, you could go to the theater uh, for less money than you could go to a movie. And my um, my parents also grew up in New York, and and they had sort of courted, and uh, wooed during the uh, you know uh, on on theater dates. So as soon as uh, as soon as my brother and I were old enough, he's three years older than me. So at three years old, I was taken to see my first Broadway show, which was um, a matinee, a sat of course because I was three, a Saturday matinee of uh, My Fair Lady, the original production of My Fair Lady. And, um, you know, this was a long, long time ago, you know, uh, like, you know, 60 years ago. But um, uh, my mother said it was the first time in my long three years on Earth that I had actually sat quietly. So she thought, this is a good thing to do on Saturday afternoons because it's cheaper than a babysitter. And, uh, you know, I get to see plays and this, this kid is quiet, you know, so I can just sort of plop him in a seat and he'll be mesmerized. And I uh, and I always was. So I grew up wanting to be part of that thing that I experienced for the first time when I was a tiny tot and then um, and then just grew up loving more and more and more. Was there a, there's never been anything else for me? <clears throat> was there was there? A, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess that would answer my next question. I am curious if there was a defining moment, a particular moment in time when you decided that this would be the defining. I mean, I guess the defining moment for me, that's a good question, because um, it's one thing to sort of have this desire to be part of something in an abstract kind of way. The defining moment for me was in uh, 1971 at the Winter Garden Theater when against my <clears throat> strict, uh, <laughs> I was still a kid, you know, I was, uh, I was, uh, 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 I was um, 14 or 15 years old and um, uh, I had been forbidden to see um, a particular show because my parents had gone to see it and they said, 
this isn't for you. This is, uh, you know, it's about midlife crisis. It's about bad marriages. It's not for you. So you're, so you're not to go to see it. And in those days, of course, you know, I didn't have any source of income. <laughs> I, and uh, uh, so I, I was at the mercy of, uh, of uh, lies. Um, which is sort of sort of like a you know sort of like being a writer, <laughs> and um, uh, I wrote myself into a uh, a matinee of uh, a show called Follies at the Winter Garden Theater, which um, had been uh, of course uh, you know the the middle of that hat trick of Company Follies, Little Night Music, and in uh, uh, 70, 71, 72, 73, in that period of time. Um, for um, Hal Prince and Stephen Sondheim, also Michael Bennett, of course, and Hugh Wheeler and um, and uh, Boris Aronson and and those amazing other collaborators, Florence Klotz and Theron Musser, of course. And um, I saw this show uh, that um, I didn't mean the, the midlife crisis part of it, the marriages on the rocks part of it was not um, what interested me because hmm. um, I was a child. What interested me was um, all the things that that production did, mixing past and present, mix, mixing color and black and white, mixing sort of themes and concepts and the whole sort of, it was so different from anything that I'd ever seen. And I didn't know that you could do that on stage. I mean, I didn't, I'd never heard of Pirandello. I was 15. I was some schmucky kid. You know, I just knew, I knew what I had seen before. I wasn't thinking about, I wasn't thinking about theater seriously until that day, that matinee. Hmm. Um, when I lied and told, you know, and told, I can't remember what the lie was, but I'm sure it was about, you know, doing something else. But for $2, Hal Prince, who was also the producer of that show, as well as the co-director, um, uh, Hal Prince, uh, when he, uh, as a producer in those days, had a $2 obstructed view policy. So for two bucks, again, like for $2, which was really, you know, on a Saturday in Manhattan to like spend the afternoon, a rainy Saturday afternoon for two bucks was a great deal. Mm -hmm. And obstructed view at at the Winter Garden meant a box seat, which was thrilling to me as a kid because I had I could look right down into the orchestra pit and I could see Paul Gemignani conducting and I could look, I, I the, what it, whatever was obstructed from my view didn't seem to matter because what I did see, what was in my view was uh, was was a, 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 a cavalcade of things I had never seen before. And uh, and I came home and I uh, and I decided that I had to start reading and and ex experiencing um, all different kinds of theater and all different kinds of um, approaches to it, all different kinds of styles and all of that. So that I think for me was the um, what we would call the inciting incident. That sounds life. so magical <laughs> to experience. It's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary because I because I lived here, you know, it was and it was two bucks. You know, I was able to. Do, I was able to, to. I was able to, you know, because I was a proficient liar. I um, I was able to go a lot. You know, I was able to see this a lot, and um, and I would go and I would sort of study it. And I would every now and then I would spring for a. I would save up my allowance and I would I, and I would get a, a, a. I think a. It was a three dollars to stand at the back, and at the back you could see everything. So I I you know I but I I would go and go and go until I sort of until I had memorized everything that I was capable of memorizing. And then, uh, uh, and then of course, um, a few years later, I was able to, uh, you know, uh, have conversations with these artists who had made this show hmm. as a, you know, as a young theater professional. And, and, um, and that was, you know, that was uh, a great uh, advantage to being here and 
being sort of fearless about stalking people <laughs> until they would answer my questions. <laughs> what I, I, It's funny because what we see online may not often be totally accurate. And I'm curious what's not printed online, um, if there's anything. Was there a particular mentor that unlocked the door for you? Was there a particular interaction in a spot, in a particular place that unlocked a future? Uh, oh, sure. Well, you know, I, I mean, I suppose um, there were several. Um, I I uh, I went to uh, graduate school at an early age, attending the um, uh, Yale Drama School, now the David Geffen School of Drama at Yale. <laughs> Catchy title, isn't it? And um, uh, but it was just called Yale Drama uh, when I, I was there, uh, class of '79, and um, and there were several uh, mentors there: um, uh, the great Richard Gilman. Um, the great Robert Brewstein, the great Alvin Epstein, the, um, you know, a lot of the actors and uh, playwrights and directors and designers that I was in, in, in with, the Yale Mafia, as they as they refer to it. <laughs> and we all sort of mentored each other and continue to do so to this very day. In fact, tonight I'm having dinner with a, with Marklin Baker, who is a classmate of mine and is one of my great friends and has been since those days. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 40 plus years mm of um of friendship and uh support and laughter and all of that great stuff the um uh the professional people there andre vida the great director um uh, uh ron daniels the great director from uh from england um and um uh uh and then here in new york uh uh, Steve Sondheim, who, um, you know, who, uh, as as has been noted since uh, since he uh, passed away, uh, you know, was a great correspondent. And in those days, that meant actually writing letters. You know, there was there, there were there was no email or faxes or or texts or DMs or anything, mm. obviously. So um, but. Uh, uh, he. Um, uh was always willing to talk and I was a sponge and I just, I mean, I wanted to, I thought I would impress him with my, you know, with my intelligence and my deep dives into everything that had begun with this show of his that I saw um, when I was a kid. And, um, and uh, uh, he was very generous with his information and uh, with his time. And uh, we would go on little adventures, the theater outing adventures, and then talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. I mean, essentially what I do, Clayton, is, is talking things into existence. And in many respects, I think Steve, Michael Bennett, whom I got to know really well um, in the early 80s, um, uh, you know, these people sort of talked me into existence in a way. That's, yeah, I, I'm glad I asked. That was a great answer. <laughs> what did your parents teach you about work ethic? Oh, you know, oh, oh, another really good question. Um, I'm a worker. You know, there's this um, Maltby Davenport um, Babcock, who sounds like a character from a Gilbert and Sullivan um, operetta, uh, was a was a preacher. Was a preacher down in uh, in uh, Lower Manhattan, and um, he wrote a he wrote a, a poem, uh, which uh, is a would be a great answer. Let me. Uh, let me access it uh, uh, very, very quickly so that I don't get it wrong. Uh, it's it is about the work ethic that you just um, uh, described. Um, you know, I think um, everyone in my family had been had sort of escaped from Eastern Europe 
either you know westward through France or or southerly through um, Austria to emigrate to this country, um, chased out by um, Cossacks and people like that, um, and um, uh, they were uh, they were a family of of uh, workers, you know, dray horses as. At the Yiddish term would be dray horse, which is just sort of the horse that pulls the cart, you know, not even the person sitting on the cart who's working, but the horse that pulls the worker. That was that was us. We were like the dray horses of uh, of uh, uh, of Eastern Europe. And um, and of course. Uh, um, when when they emigrated here and settled in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, um, you know, they continued in that um, in that uh, uh, tradition of just working 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 and um and then uh years later uh uh the person i met and fell in love with and and uh, uh you know and partnered with for 35 years um uh took me to meet a woman uh an old woman uh then old uh who had been a justice of the peace in the uh, british countryside and um uh and when she died, she sent us a piece of, uh, she left us a piece of her furniture and inside the piece of furniture was an envelope with a poem in it. And I'm gonna read you that poem. It says, we are not here to play, to dream, to drift. We have work to do and loads to lift. Shun not the struggle, face it, for work's our greatest gift. Say not the times are wicked, seek not someone to blame. Fold not your hands, stand up, speak out, and bravely stake your claim. It matters not how deep entrenched the wrong, how hard the bottle, the day, how long. Faint not, fight on, today we work, tomorrow comes the song. And this was, you know, this became um, sort of a great expression. It's not, it's not a great poem, but because it came into my life from a completely different direction from my DNA and my ancestry it's always seemed to me to be kind of amazing uh as a as a uh, an incitement to work so uh i think um that is that does that sort of answer your question i mean i'm just a worker you know i i i i don't know any other way to describe myself actually i don't think i'm a great writer i think i'm a good writer i think i'm a really good thinker i'm very smart i um but mostly what i do to make up for the lack of greatness is I work my ass off and I always have, and I suppose I always um, will, God willing, you know, I'll be able to until, uh, you know, until I fall off the twig. But, you know, that's my goal is to actually hold up my end, whatever that means, and, um, and, and, and just keep working. Do you ever burn out? Uh, I suppose there are people that I know who would who would be screaming, yes, yes, get him to get him to go away for a day or two and leave us alone. <laughs> it's quite possible I, that I am sitting here already burnt out and I just haven't, <laughs> nobody told me. You know, it's quite, it's all, it's all possible. But I do think that um, uh, burnout feels to me a little bit like the human correlative of a black page. And I've never really, I guess because I, I took a detour into advertising for a while, um, which you can use as a segue if you like. But, um, you know, there, because that's a deadline business, the idea of writer's block was never an option. And so um, burnout feels to me like some sort of version of that. It, I, if I burn out, I'm really, love, I'm really lucky, right? I mean, I live in New York City. 
Um, there's this great thing called Central Park. If I'm feeling like, you know, I just don't know what to do with something, um, I can just walk out into the street and in a few minutes I can be surrounded by trees. I can sit in Shakespeare's garden. I can, you know, I can think what, how would Shakespeare have solved this? You know, I, 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 I walk around, I can watch a ball game. I can, I can see kids playing in the park. I can take a ride on the carousel if I want. There are all kinds of quick little ways to recharge without um, succumbing, I think, to um, to burnout per se. Although I do appreciate that there is such a thing. And and I, I say with, with real humility, I, I may very well have burnt out and just, and, no, and nobody's told me. <laughs> you'll have to ask my agent and see what he thinks. I don't think I have, but you know, but you know, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll let me know what you think at the end of this interview. <laughs> I want to, I do want to turn, turn, turn slightly to um, the Serena. You want to drink? You just said it's nine thirty in the morning, Clayton. It's too early to be drinking. <laughs> as we take a drink now, <laughs> as, uh, like, as I slurp my coffee. Uh, Serena <laughs> Coin, can we talk about the journey to marketing for you and advertising? I'm so curious how that evolved. It wasn't really a journey. It was sort of a, it was sort of a, 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 a comedy sketch. I was performing in a, uh, you know, with my, uh, uh, with uh, the aforementioned, actually speaking of, uh, uh, Marklin Baker, you know, he was in it. Uh, there was a, a musical that Joe Papp did at the Public Theater in uh, the summer of 82 called The Death of Von Richthofen as Witnessed from Earth. And it was the book, music and lyrics and directed by this crazy Canadian genius named Des McEnough that Joe had seen um, and met up at Juilliard and uh, where he had done something. And uh, and Joe, of course, was this great um, advocate for young talent. And Des had this crazy surrealistic musical. If they did it now, I'm sure it would be a great big hit. Um, but it was, you know, so one of those things I think that was a little ahead of its time in terms of its style and its voice. Uh, anyway, it was a there was a big production. Jennifer Muller, who had this um, this modern dance company, was the choreographer. Um, I was uh, cast in it, uh, and um, uh, uh, Joe had this policy on opening nights. Bless his heart of uh, you know the opening night parties at the public were always in the lobby of the of, of the public on Lafayette Street and um and he would never let anybody get to the food until the actors came up from the dressing room after the show and so uh which meant that there would be food left for the actors because mm. <laughs> sometimes you know you get to these things as an actor and everything's gone yeah. but anyway Joe Joe had this policy of everybody just milling around so there was a big line for the you know for the Scungili. And um, uh, and I was standing on the line uh, behind a guy who struck up a conversation with me as, you know, as one does on, you know, when you're holding a plate in your hand. And um, uh, we were chatting. And then he said to me, uh, you seem like a funny guy. You, you know, I, I, I run the ad agency that represents uh, Joe Papp in the public theater, uh, the New York Shakespeare Festival. Um, could, do you think you could write some headlines for me? And I said, maybe you don't recognize me, but you know, just I'm a I'm an actor. I don't write uh, I don't write headlines. And he said, oh, that's too bad. Um, I because I, I I would pay you a hundred dollars. Now you have to understand, I was making in that play hundred forty nine dollars a week plus an extra twenty because I was the dance captain. 
but you know, even in 1982, it was really hard to make ends meet in in New York for 169 bucks a week, plus you know, minus 10% for your agent and 50% for Ronald Reagan and you know, and all of that stuff. So uh, I said suddenly, I said 100 dollars. You know, for 100 dollars, I'll grow another head. You know, for, you know, yes, of course, I can write. Give me those headlines, you know, give me a pad. I'll write funny. I had no idea if I could write a funny headline or not. I just thought I could really use a hundred bucks and, you know, to buy some food. And um, uh, the next Monday, I uh, I showed up at an ad agency at 1515 Broadway. There were, you know, about 10 people working there and uh, including this guy. It turns out that his uh, partner, um, was away for the summer on holiday and um uh, so she wasn't around to write headlines and that's why he needed some he needed some funny headlines for annie which was a uh, a show running on broadway at the time hmm. annie you've heard of annie annie's famous show familiar so so they needed so so they needed some funny headlines for annie and they also needed some funny headlines for a, a, a some event that marvin hamlish was doing in, in texas it seems to me and um so I, I, they, they sat me at a desk and gave me a pad and a pen, and I, I wrote some what I thought would be funny headlines. Turns out that, that writing ad copy is very much like writing a, um, a postcard. You know, you have very limited space, and you want to say something that's amusing, mm. of you know, and that is legible and uh, and understandable. Um, and it turned out that I had a facility for that. At the end of the day. I went to get my hundred bucks and he said, you know, could you come back tomorrow? And I thought, well, he's paying me a hundred bucks. I guess I go back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I did that every day for that week. And on Friday I said, look, um, this was Matthew Serino. I said, look, Maddie, I, you know, I've had a great time. Everybody here has been really, really sweet to me, but you know, I, I need to have my days free for, you know, auditions and, um, you know, other actor type things. Um, so can I get my um, can I get my money and and uh, thanks for the opportunity and he handed me a check for five hundred dollars he met a hundred dollars a day well you know it was like it was like a you know a meteor hitting me on the head a hundred dollars a day okay so I said uh, hmm. you need me do you need me next week <laughs> and he said he said well if you can come next week that would be great because. Nancy Coyne, the, you know, his partner and uh, creative director, um, wasn't due back until the fu- the week after that. So I did the ne- the whole next week again, and whatever whatever they were thrown at me, you know, I just was perfectly happy. And at six o'clock, I would go down to Lafayette Street and perform in that show, which was just finishing up as we neared Labor Day. And um, and after Labor Day was when Nancy was coming back. He s- told me, "I don't need you anymore." Nancy came back a couple of days later. She called me. Uh, and she said, um, my partner says you, we should meet. I went up and I met my kindred spirit. And, you know, we, in five minutes, we were best friends. And she said, look, I, I really don't need anybody full time, but I could give you two days a week if you wanted to do that. And I thought, well, that would keep me from having to be a waiter or, a you know, or, you know, uh, work in a bookstore or anything like that. You know, the sorts of jobs that one takes when is pers- when it, one is young and pursuing a career uh, as an actor mm. in New York, and so I grabbed that opportunity, and then um, three weeks later, uh, she offered me a, a full time job. And um, what had happened, you know, by then was I'd fallen in love with somebody who was three thousand miles away and had a compelling need suddenly to spend a lot of money mm-hmm. uh, at Pan American Airways, <laughs> going back and forth to to London. And uh, standby was one hundred fifty nine dollars, so uh, I had I had to make my rent and I had to 
do that. And uh, so I took that gig. And so it was purely accidental. Um, it's a long answer to your question, but the reason I told it in, in its long form is to say, you know, sometimes in life, or maybe all the time in life, you should take these avenues that have nothing to do with what your plan is, because your plan is really just, you know, your plan. I guess it's good to stick to your guns, but, uh, you know, I felt like I was still working in the theater because the bread and butter business at that point at Sereno was um, uh, was the theater business. Mm -hmm. um, it, it ended up branching out as, uh, you know, as the years went by. And uh, and we built, a you know, we built up the company. Um, but um, uh, to begin with, I thought, well, it's sort of a job in the theater. And it also is giving me a means to my end, which is to be able to uh, um, spend some time with the person that I had become obsessed with. And I was, you know, I was still very young. And so that obsession was a sort of a driving force for me. And um, and the next thing I knew, you know, almost 20 years had gone by. And I, you know, before I before I departed the world of advertising. If so, how did it affect your writing story, working at advertising in advertising? Well, I, you know, I, I, as I, as I think I alluded to a few minutes ago, um, or I may have dreamed it, um, uh, you know, I started as a copywriter and then became the creative director and then became, you know, a, a, an, a, an equity partner in the business uh, because I, I loved the idea of um, uh, uh, the challenge of the um, blank page. And um, <clears throat> I didn't know about writer's block, so I didn't suffer from it. You know, it wasn't an option. So it wasn't anything, it didn't seem like a choice, um, a viable choice. You have a deadline. If you miss the deadline, then you're talking about an ad in, in newspapers. It was a different sort of business than you understand, because this is before the internet. But, um, you know, if you missed an ad, if you missed a deadline, you, there would be a blank space in the newspaper. If you missed a deadline, there would be, your commercial wouldn't run on TV or the radio. Your trailer wouldn't run in a movie theater if you didn't supply it in time. Hmm. So, um, uh, the writing aspect of of producing those materials uh, was usually the you know part and parcel of having the idea. Mm -hmm. um, ideas are different from activities, right? You don't you can't write anything until you know what it is that you're going to write. Mm. And so uh, the having of ideas was something that I had always enjoyed doing. It was sort of my avocation before it became my profession. So I I appreciated the difference between ideas and activities. But to go from the idea what to do to the activity, doing it mm -hmm. um, uh, in a way that was compelling, in a way that would uh, motivate an action, mm -hmm. uh, which is what our advertising had to do. It wasn't like Coca-Cola is great. And when you're thirsty, you should probably ha drink Coke. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. But the Coke can sit on the shelf for a year. If you don't buy it, you can buy it next week or you could buy it next year. Mm -hmm. A theater seat you have to buy today and you have to buy it again tomorrow and you have to buy it again the day after that. There's no shelf life to the product. So it was a very particular kind of type of advertising that we were doing, which was really to motivate an action, not just to plant a thought, mm. but to motivate an action. And I found that to be challenging and um, and very um, satisfying to begin with. Also, the people that I wanted to work with as an actor 
you know, I had done six shows for Joe Pappy, had no idea who I was. Suddenly I was doing his advertising. He's asking my opinion about stuff. You know, Mike Nichols, um, <clears throat> Tom Stoppard, uh, Gene Sachs, Neil Simon, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, Tony Kushner, uh, you know, the, uh, the these these great artists were coming through the door and asking me what I thought about things. I thought, well, when I return to acting, um, it'll be, boy, won't it be easy. As soon as I'm old enough to be considered for the parts worthy of my great acting talent, um, uh, these people will all know me and it'll be, I'll get job after job after job after job. It'll be wonderful. Um, the, the trouble is, not the trouble, I mean, but what happened is I was seduced by the creative um, um, thrill of having to create every single day. So I suppose that's how I began as a writer. Mm. I never wrote anything longer than three minutes um, for a long time. Mm. Uh, I didn't presume to think that I could do that. Um, but when I had the opportunity to do it, um, you know, I, I got very, very lucky. And then, um, you know, if you have something that's successful, you get asked to do it again. And, you know, so now I'm a writer of longer form pieces, but it's all, it all seems like a miracle to me, sort of like a pinball. I'm sort of a pinball on a pinball game. And I, I you know, it's not like I'm going to go through that hole over there. No, you just get bounced around and flipped around and boing, 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 boing. That's what my life has been. You seem to have so much comfort in that. Just where we're going today, we'll find out. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I suppose sometimes, it, I mean, sometimes I wouldn't use the word comfort sometimes because sometimes it's really frustrating to not know, hmm. but I have a plan. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter to anybody else because it's just my plan, <laughs> but, but I, I'll go where the, I'll go where the wind blows me. Sure. Why not? There's it's something, been, I mean, it turned out to be a pretty good life strategy for me. I, you know, I, I would recommend it because, you know, because I got really lucky in my life. And I think if you, if you stick to your plan and, um, and sort of force it through, Maybe, you know, maybe that would be satisfying. I, I don't know. It's not, it's not, ultimately, it's not what I did. So you'll have to interview wiser people than me about that. I think that's so interesting, though, because life does give you little, little signs, you know, and you can feel it in your gut that you should or shouldn't well, do some, something. Well, sometimes great, well, sometimes great big signs, you know. They hit like, you. <laughs> you know, you, this, you need to do this. So you, you better organize your life so that you can do this. I mean, my life. Yeah in those early eighties was insanely complicated. And, um, but to me, it was like, I, okay. I was, a, I, I didn't seem to have any other choice. And I don't mean that as like an unpleasant thing. I was, I was motivated by forces beyond my, my control. It seemed to me like my heart, <laughs> my, yeah. my, you know, and, and fate and, uh, and uh, things like that. So I, I uh, abstract ideas. And I and I was young and and I, I and I thought, all right, I I don't want to, as they say, uh, get to the end of my life and think, gee, you know, I if only I'd I wish I'd you know, I I didn't want to live my life that way. So I just kind of went where where it took me. I, I'm the proverbial leaf in the stream. Hmm. It all works out in the end, I think. Well, uh, one way or the other, it does, you know, and then we and then we die. But, you know, um, <laughs> it, it, seems, it seems like since we know that's what's going to happen, um, you, <laughs> you, you might you might as well you might as well try try for some laughs along the way. 
<laughs> you might as well have fun. <laughs> if you can, if you can. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.